Very good morning to all of you. I have sworn to myself I'm not going to make any cheesy rugby jokes. So if I do, uh, please forgive me, but I have attempted within myself to not do that. Um, but it really is wonderful for us to gather together. Um, it really was a intense last few weeks, all of this rugby. Um, but the one thing that is consistent for us um, is our God. Um, and we, uh, it's no small thing. And I think that uh, as the Lord is helping us through this gospel basics to just for us as individuals to revisit uh, the basics of our faith, uh, but also to equip us uh, to help others as they begin their journey with the Lord. Uh, and for us to be able to share the gospel uh, is really important for us. And so I trust that the series has been helpful for us. Um, and I hope that it is equipping us for the ongoing work of seeing the gospel go out uh, as we look forward to the, the return of our Lord and our Savior, which will be a glorious and mighty day, which we all look forward to. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 6, please. Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2. Today, we're going to be looking at the next part of this. Um, so Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2. Uh, I do have slides, so you can look there if you wish. Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings about Christ and not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about baptisms or washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so this morning we look at baptisms or washings, um, and it's going to be helpful for us to take a journey through history to try and figure out uh, how we get to baptisms as we understand them in the New Testament, um, and hopefully it will give us uh, just a better understanding of it uh, in order to apply to our lives and to others. And so the word baptism literally means to immerse or to dip or to plunge, uh, in essence the idea is that being completely uh, consumed within, um, that is the idea. And so immersion speaks of an, an all-in kind of idea. And so as Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so there's a putting on. Um, I just couldn't get away from the rugby jerseys this morning as I thought about that. Um, but it's a, there's an identification, right? As we put on that jersey, there's an identification with those around us um, to this thing which we either worship or which we, uh, depending on how we look at it, uh, but all, all a part of. And the idea with baptism is that we're all in. It's putting on Christ. That when people look at us, ah, it's obvious who these guys support. They are supporters of Christ. And so there's an all-inness about it. And I think being able to be here this morning after an intense rugby match just shows this immersing of the people that are sitting here, of wanting to be in Christ. And there's a, there's a desiring for all of Him. Um, and so we, we come and we are identifying with Him. And so if we look throughout history, there was ceremonial washings or baptisms uh, in the in the Jewish tradition, uh, but many of them were ritualistic, right? There was there was ritualistic washings, and so before John's time, uh, the Jews would practice immersion into a mikvah or a ritual bath, uh, into which they would cleanse themselves. And so, obviously, as we look to the laws, uh, there's a number of things that make the people impure, and so in order for them to get past that impurity and to get clean again, they would bathe themselves. Um, and so after childbirth or whether they had certain diseases or uh, had come into contact with a corpse, uh, there was a cleansing that was required. And so they would bathe themselves to become pure once again. But there was another part where baptism was uh, an important part of the, the early Jews. And what that was was for proselytes or non-Jewish people who wanted to enter into Judaism and to be able to be followers of their same God, they would be baptized into Judaism. 
And so there was a baptism that would happen, and so they would then uh, be identified with the people. They had to get baptized into this kingdom of Israel. And so people would come and recognize this external uh, public display that would happen, and like, I'm no longer South African, I now identify with, us, with the Jews. That is, that is who I have become, part of these people. And they would be baptized into that. And the the, the Qumran community, uh, many of us would have heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which were discovered within those writings. There was a lot of evidence of that community having many ceremonial washings and baptisms, which were part of just their way of life. Uh, and so baptisms weren't unheard of. Um, they weren't completely new to the people of Israel. Um, and so it's important to know that. Uh, but they were all ritualistic. That was the, the big difference between uh, washings back in the day. And obviously, washings down. So the writer of Hebrews carries on in chapter 9, and he says, This is a symbol of the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. He's talking about the tabernacle. But they deal only with food and drink and various baptisms or washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time comes to set things right. And so there were these washings that took place, but obviously they weren't the ultimate thing. They were a placeholder until the ultimate cleansing and ultimate washing and ultimate baptism would make its way into our lives. And so they were a shadow. We, we hear that term often, right? A shadow or a type um, of the real thing which was to come. Um, and obviously we find that in Jesus. But then we move along through history and then we come to the New Testament. And then we see actually two baptisms. Did you know that there were two baptisms in the New Testament? The first baptism is the baptism of John. And so John, uh, obviously, as we know, baptized Jesus. Uh, but we see the, the recollection of uh, that environment around John's baptism. We see in Mark 1 verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was John's baptism. He was saying that uh, we need to be baptized. You people need to be baptized uh, for, of repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. We then see Matthew who gives a similar account um, and helps to unpack that scenario a little bit more. He says, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so there's this repentance and there's this uh, drawing near of this kingdom into which they need to now uh, join. And so there's this repentance. And so the, the ritual baths of the Old Testament were all about purity, right? There was about cleansing. Um, and so as you clean your body, there's an obvious understanding that I'm dirty uh, spiritually or sin, sinfully or whatever it is, but I need to purify myself. And so John is leaning back into that going, actually, this, this new repentance that we, we are calling you to because the kingdom of God is here that I'm calling you to is John. There is a purifying that is happening. And so we need to come in and cleanse ourselves in the water because there is a turning away of a sinful and wicked life. And we need to turn now toward this new kingdom that is at hand. But the hard part for them is that he's talking to the Jews, right? I mean, the, this is the kingdom. Looking at all the world's kingdoms and all the world's nations, if anyone had to say this is the kingdom of God, it would be the Israelites, right? What's John saying? You guys need to now be baptized. They must be going, we've just been baptizing all these proselytes into the Israeli kingdom. What do you mean we now need to be baptized? And what John is doing is he's saying, actually, he's precursoring this new kingdom that is at hand, where Jews also now need to be baptized in order to enter into this kingdom. 
Those proselytes are going to have to be baptized again, so they get a double whammy. They've just joined Israel, but now John's saying, actually, there's a new kingdom at hand, which you now need to be baptized into. And so he's, he's tying that into this repentance that there's a way which you lived. There's now a new way and a new kingdom. And he's calling all of Israel to repent. And so you can understand why this is so difficult for the Jews. Because they thought, we are the people. We are the chosen ones. And John coming out the deserts, I mean, there's a wild guy eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, this guy must have been a mess. And he comes to them and says, this is no longer the kingdom. In essence is what he's saying. But there's a new kingdom coming. And God is calling us to repent and to enter into this new kingdom. So John's baptism was a once-off act. So not like the Old, Old Testament washings where every time they sinned and every year the priests had to come and wash themselves and enter into the tabernacle. John's was a once-off you need to be baptized, repent, you can enter into this new kingdom, and it's a once-off, done deal. There's another account of this episode of John's baptism, which we see in the book of John, uh, which is another angle which helps us to understand more fully what this baptism of John was all about. And so in verse 29, we see that the next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. How's this? I came baptizing with water for this reason, that I, that he might be revealed to Israel. So John had a purpose in his baptism in order for Jesus to be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And so John the Baptist gets told, I want you to go and baptize by God, and he says, the person on whom you see the dove descend is the Son of God. So what does John do? Come on, Israel, all of you through, and he's waiting. Every person he goes through, he's waiting, waiting, waiting. Suddenly Jesus comes, gets baptized, and suddenly heaven opens up, and he's like, this is why I baptized, that this person could be revealed to Israel, and now identified as the Son of God. And so no longer is John's baptism, baptism necessary because the Son of Man has been revealed. So his job is done. And that's why he says, what does he say? He must increase and I must decrease. My job here is done. Um, John was, as Jesus even said, the greatest of every human being that ever existed. But John says, I must now decrease because the one who was before me, who's coming after me, he actually must increase in the eyes of the people. No longer is John the hero of the Israel faith, but now this one who this dove has descended upon has been identified and a claim from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, now revealed as the son of man. And so that was the third purpose, to identify Jesus. And not just to say that he is the son of God, but John going, I baptize you with water. But the moment we have this man identified, he is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And that is, he's basically saying, I'm just a prelude. I'm just a type. I'm just an image 
of this real baptism which we're after, and it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so John uh, had that job preparation for Jesus as predicted 450 years before John arrived on planet Earth. We see Malachi uh, predicting him and saying, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so he's predicting John, and then he's predicting directly after John would come Jesus. But then John's famous words saying, I must decrease, this is the one who must now increase in the eyes of humanity. So Matthew gives us a slightly different perspective um, of this incredible moment. And he says, then Jesus came from Galilee to uh, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? What is Jesus' answer? Let it be so now, for it is proper, it is right for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So John's like, okay, you win, I'll baptize you. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So if John hadn't consented and gone, Listen, I am not baptizing you. You're the one who needs to baptize me. He wouldn't have fulfilled his call of identifying Jesus to the people of Israel. And so Jesus going, Brew, Appreciate your humility here, but let's, let's, let's go ahead and let's just be obedient to God, shall we? Do what you need to do. And in that moment, God going, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then John handing it over and saying, you now need to become great in the eyes of this people. And so baptism continues post-Jesus. And so we can think, okay, well, John's baptism is over. Uh, Jesus has been identified, so we no longer need water baptism. But we see Jesus... In Matthew 28, right, the Great Commission, which we're called to go and make disciples, he says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the interesting thing about that phrase is that Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so what he's saying is that baptism is for those who have become disciples of Jesus. And how do you become a disciple of Jesus? Through faith. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, sweet. Step number three, baptize. And so we see this beautiful thread through all of scripture, none of it confusing for us. Uh, Ironically, as simple as water baptism is, History in the church has made it very, very complicated, and I don't think that is what the Lord intends for us. But that's where we move. Because he says, go and baptize those who believe, that's where John's baptism is called the baptism of John, and then the baptism which we continue through Matthew 28 is called the believer's baptism. So if you ever hear about these two baptisms, it's John's baptism and believer's baptism, and it's because... You baptize those who are already disciples, who've put their trust and their faith in Jesus. And so we see a number of accounts uh, through the book of Acts uh, that water baptism does continue. Because if we, hadn't, if we didn't have those examples, we could believe that water baptism has now stopped. We now put our faith and trust in Jesus, and baptism is now by the Holy Spirit, right? 
I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. But we see throughout the book of Acts this continuing act of being baptized in water. And so we see in Acts 2, uh, where Peter preaches that powerful sermon, um, and then about 3,000 are saved, but the phraseology is there, they then get baptized in water. And so uh, we then see in Acts, that's Acts 2, we then see in Acts 47, uh, persecution hits uh, all the Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter and John are arrested. Stephen is arrested. Uh, he delivers this defense of the faith and becomes first Christian martyr as he is stoned. Uh, we then see the church scattered in Acts 8, uh, verse 1 to 3. And then we see Philip's ministry uh, in Samaria later on in verse 4 to 25 of chapter 8. And so there's this continuing uh, movement of disciple making. But then while Philip then goes to Samaria, he preaches the gospel. Um, hundreds and thousands come, come to be saved and he baptizes them all. And there's this massive move of the Spirit going on. And what happens? The Spirit says, there's a chariot on the road. Can you just run along? I know this is really exciting and I know I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I actually need you to go do something else. There's a chariot on the way and I'm sending you to there. And so we continue that story in um, chapter 8, verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. I mean, we're in the city, it's rocking and rolling. And the Spirit says, Go down to the wilderness. So he got up, as any good disciple should, and he went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and to sit beside him. Now, the passage of the scripture that, was, that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And this incredibly pondering man says that the eunuch then asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news, because that's what you do when you suddenly find yourself randomly translocated. The good news to all of the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, I don't know if many of us have had baptism experiences like that, but that is quite profound. Um, and it's a, it's a great account of water baptism continuing through the book of Acts. And we see it... Um, we see it just described in such a beautiful way and just seeing the hand of God throughout the story. And, and in essence, it's because of Philip's obedience. He could have just said, yeah, you know what? This can't be the Lord. I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing here. But he walks in obedience to Jesus. And we see this incredibly beautiful moment uh, where the eunuch then gets saved and joins the kingdom 
of God. And so what is the heart of baptism? This is all the history around it. This is all the practical stuff around it. But what is the heart of baptism? Number one, the heart of baptism is the forgiveness of sins. It's the forgiveness of sins. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about more than just justification, right? God just forgiving in some removed kind of theological way what has happened to us. Forgiveness is about a relational acknowledgement and intimacy with the one who is forgiving. So this forgiveness he talks about is about our consciences, that there's actually an experiential forgiveness that we get, that we can, our spirits can now cry out, Abba, Father, that he has forgiven us. And part of us getting dunked into water and going through this process of obedience to God is that our consciences are actually cleared. So the water itself does not cleanse us. Let's not make that mistake. We will see that a little later on. The writer in Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, says, Let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So our consciences are actually cleared because we're physical humans, right? We can easily just say, I believe in Jesus. But Jesus says, actually, you are also physical. There's a, there's a physical part of you and him living with his new body, and we're all looking forward to that. Yes, yes, we are. And he's saying, you're not just going to sit back and have this, I believe in Jesus. He's like, your body needs to also be immersed in my service. And so as we walk in obedience and our bodies, our flesh is dunked into the water and washed not the water itself that cleanses us, but Jesus cleanses us. But our consciences, we, we have an acknowledgement that we have walked in obedience to Jesus. We're with him. We're, we're having this moment. And that when we think about it, there's this intimacy with him. And that our spirits can cry out, Abba, Father, we have been forgiven. The whole point of the tabernacle was what? What was the point of the tabernacle? Anyone? The tabernacle was God going, you people are rubbish. I want to so be with you. I need to make a way that I can come and live amongst the sinful people. So he says, Moses, there's only one way, and you do this thing exactly as I tell you, because it's the only way that I can come and live among you. That was his desire, to be with us. And so the picture of the tabernacle is him wanting to come to be with us. And so when we are baptized, it's the same thing. It's God wanting to be with us. It's not a remove. I just want you to go be obedient. Go get washed over there. God is with us. And his spirit, which is given to us, wants to cry out, Abba, Father, that we may have this intimacy with him. And part of this walking in obedience is this experience, experience of God. And I'm not saying it's a 24-7 experience of God. We're walking like in the garden 24-7. Obviously, we have our ups and downs and our own sinful thoughts, which take us closer or further from the Lord, even though he never leaves us. But there is this element of forgiveness that we know that the Lord has forgiven us, that we're good with God. Do you have that? That you're good with God. And there's something about pleasing Him with our acts of obedience, right? And that's His desire for us, that we're not just, I think I've put my faith in Jesus. No, when we get in that water, we're going, everyone, I've put my faith in Jesus. I'm walking in obedience and I'm doing this thing. And Jesus is right there with us. 
So when Jesus gets baptized, the Father's right there, the Spirit's right there. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we have the same thing. We might not have all this cool imagery, right, and all these bright lights and people disappearing, and maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. My wife, when she was baptized, I was there, um, and she gets, uh, it was in someone's bath, and so she got into the bath because it's winter, and, you know, we, we Western Capers, we're a bit soft, so we want, like, the warm water. I'll read something a little later that's quite funny. But she gets in the water, and as she comes up, there's this bright light, this experience of the Lord. And she opens her eyes, and there's someone with a camera with a flash right in front of her, and she's like, oh. You know, just wanting the experience of the Lord back in the days when cameras still had flashes. And we may not have those moments. But I can tell you that the Lord was there going, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And that's part of our intimacy with the Lord as we walk in obedience to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all, no, we don't need to, let's just, John, let's just do this, bro. To fulfill all righteousness. Let's please the Father in what he's called us to do. Peter says, and baptism, which this prefigures, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. So the water itself is not magical. We need to just make sure we understand that. I don't think any of us think that the water itself is magical. But Peter's just saying, let me just make sure you understand this. It's not the water as, uh, as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience, a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. So we do this. And so anytime the devil comes to us and goes, are you really saved? Are you really a son or daughter of God? You go, Lord, with clear conscience, I remember that camera that flashed in my eyes. I remember it, Lord. I thought it was you, but it wasn't. It was the camera. But with clear conscience, I go, I'm walked with you, Lord. I've acted in obedience. I know you've forgiven me. And so part of this is a clear conscience the Lord is calling us to in a repentance. Secondly, there's a rebirth and a regeneration by and of the Holy Spirit. There's a rebirth and a regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, but also that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's some tricky verses which have been taken from the New Testament and have complicated this idea of baptism, and it's these ones here. Titus 3 verse 5, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us, if you skip along there, through the water of rebirth. And so some people interpret that as being saved through water baptism. John 3 verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit which people have interpreted as you cannot be born again unless you're water baptized, which makes the thief on the crosses scenario a little bit awkward, right? These verses, I believe, are really pointing to and actually fit far more in line with and are far more consistent if we read Ezekiel 36, which is incredibly powerful for our understanding of what the Lord is doing. And this is what Ezekiel 36 says. I will sprinkle clean water. So it's not you getting into the river and washing yourself because you're so obedient. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to obey my ordinances. And so those, those phraseologies around water and spirit, when they put those together, Ezekiel makes far more sense because he also puts them together. Otherwise, we're going to say water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism, if we're missing either of those, we're not saved. That is just inconsistent with the gospel message, right? It's repentance from dead works, faith toward God. Therein lies our salvation on the cornerstone of Christ. And so let's not confuse and think that water itself and baptism itself is saving. It's not. The Holy Spirit will be covered more in the laying on of hands, um, but is absolutely important, obviously, um, in understanding baptism, because through that you get forgiveness of sins, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts eight fifteen to 16 says, The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so that was post John's baptism. It's now baptism into the name of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit then being prayed. And so we need to remember that baptism itself is not a lovely word, salvific. The lovely word, hey, it's not salvific. It's not in and of itself saving. The one who believes and is baptized, right, Mark? The one who believes and is baptized will be saved. Does that mean that if we're not baptized, we won't be saved? No, because the end of the sentence says, well, the first part says, the one who, is, who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. He's just attaching baptism because he's saying those who believe get baptized. So we're not confusing things here. Those who, are those who are saved and baptized, those who believe and are baptized, will be saved. But those who do not believe will be condemned. So let's just remember that this water baptism itself fits together with believers, but it's not in and of itself what saves us. I was in the water, and so I'm saved. It is by faith alone. Forming baptism is a natural expression of our obedience. Those who, are, those who believed got baptized. It's not complicated. You've told me this gospel message. There's some water. What should I do? Let's get in the water. It's not complicated. Us in our Western world are just so clever with baptism. Well, do I need to be baptized to be saved? There wasn't really a biblical question. The Bible question was, I believe there's water. When can we get in? That was the real question. And so it's a demonstration of a spiritual reality, but the water itself doesn't save us. But it's that first act of obedience. Thirdly, baptism is immersion into Christ. It's immersion into Christ, into his death, into his burial, and then into being raised in the newness of life. But that finds ourselves immersed into Christ. Romans 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Galatians, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ, immersion into Christ. Peter then, and baptism, which, is, which this prefigured, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in whom we are now immersed. And so as we find ourselves abiding in Christ, we identify with his death, we identify with his resurrection, we identify with the newness of life. And through that comes true salvation, through Jesus and us finding ourselves in him. Not through us getting in the water, but that just shows that all of this has happened in reality. 
And so our baptism is not ceremonial. It's an immersion into Christ. Baptism, what it does for us is tells us that our faith in Jesus is not a sprinkling. We're either all in or we're all out. That's what baptism is saying. It's us going, I'm all in. Flesh, die. Get in there. Spiritually, we die with Christ. And I wonder how much baptism has just been removed from the fullness of what God intended it for us as an image and a picture for us to be fully immersed in him. There's no half measures in this thing. Once you're in, we ought to drown. We ought to be in there to die into Christ, to find ourselves immersed in him. It's a dying because if we don't die, we're not free from the law. The law still binds us. But the moment we die with Christ, we're dead to the law, but we're now free to be obedient, right? It's not we're dead to the law. We don't have to do anything that God tells us. It's we're dead to the law, but we're free to this new spirit that's been put inside of us. It will cause us to walk in his ways. It will cause us to walk in obedience to him because we can't do that by ourselves. And so it's the obvious next step from repentance, faith. Let's get baptized. Let's not overcomplicate this thing. We repent. We put faith in God. Let's get baptized. So Christ commands baptism into the triune God, right? So in, in Matthew, in the Great Commission, he says, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you know, every single reference in Acts, they get baptized into the name of Jesus, not into the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see Acts 2. Here Peter addresses the crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and there they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8.16 uh, Philip's evangelistic mission to Samaria, they are then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 10, we see the focus on the household of Cornelius and that beautiful story of his whole household being saved, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 19, Paul gets huge intera interaction with, with Jesus. Uh, Ananias comes to him and says, stand up, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 22, uh, is, it's isn't about a group of people, but rather refers to the baptism of Paul himself. Um, and they're also saying, uh, being baptized, the calling upon the name of the Lord. And so we look at this and go, Jesus has just told everybody to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But everyone's getting baptized in the name of Jesus. What's going on there? When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. That moment when Jesus himself was baptized, there was a unity of the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all in one place there. There now is no other name given among men by which we shall be saved, right? There's one name, and that name is Jesus. Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. So the name which is given, Jesus, encompasses the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's a name, and what happens with the name? What happens when you know somebody's name or when you say somebody's name? There's a connection of intimacy, right? Which is why I don't know why when we meet new people and their name just goes out of our minds. And you're like, oh, please come back. It's in there somewhere. Come on and nothing. But one of the greatest gifts that we can give to people is to remember their names. And so what Christ is saying is go and baptize them in the name of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that name for us, that intimate name, is Jesus. There's no disconnect between those things. Jesus is the name. That's why even when we pray, right, 
I don't know about you, but sometimes you're like, Father, and the next thing you're praying to Jesus, and then you're talking to the Holy Spirit. It's just this one concept of God, right? And that's not wrong. Because he is no longer given the name of the great I am, because that's quite a removed name. Who do I tell the people of Israel has spoken to us? Tell them it's I am. And what does Jesus then do later on? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Identifies himself with God, but then says, I now give you a new name by which everyone must be saved. And that name is an intimate one. It's Jesus. It would be our equivalent of a John or a Michael. There's no name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Michael, except he was an angel, so that would have made things confusing. But there's this intimacy that Jesus is calling us to. And so when we get baptized, we get baptized into this person. And that's what we're calling people to, right? Not a religion. We're not calling people even to join a local church, are we? We're calling them to join the body of Christ. That is what salvation is. And so we submit ourselves to him. And we do what he says in baptizing people in his name, but understanding that it's the Jesus who we speak of, that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the God. Him saying there's only one way to the Father, and that's through me. And so by talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's, he's separating this idea that all religions lead to eternal life. He's going, it's not that way, but the name by which you must be saved is Jesus. And so the DDK, I've spoken about this before. It's the letter written by the apostles just to kind of help people understand at that time um, just some of the greater concepts. Um, but they had, a, they had a way of getting baptized. And so they write this. And concerning baptism, baptize this way. Having first said all these things, things that they spoke about earlier, baptize into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in living water, so they're in, in moving water. But if you have no living water, baptize in other water. But if you have uh, baptize in other water, if you can't do so in cold water, do so in warm. But if you have neither, pour out water three times upon the head into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let the baptizer fast, and the baptized, and whoever else can, but you shall order the baptized to fast one or two days before. Very practical steps, because what they were realizing is that people were starting to just put their faith in Jesus, get saved, and actually have no change of life. And who do we baptize? Disciples, people who've actually put their trust and their faith in Jesus. So they were going, there's a bit of a dog show going on here at the moment. What we want is if you're going to say, I'm now a follower of Jesus, you're going to fast. The guy who's going to baptize you is going to fast. And we're going to make sure that there's an evidence of an actual transformation in your life. That we can say we're baptizing a disciple, not just someone who wants to be part of this crowd. Because at that stage, they were super generous, right? Everyone laying everything down, making sure no one had need. So what a cool club to join. Huh? Everyone's just giving their stuff away. I'd love to be part of that. And they're going, no, no, no. This baptism is only for disciples. Those who truly have put their trust and their faith in Jesus. Which makes infant baptism a little tricky. It really does. It's difficult to interpret infant baptism into this. But then the question for us is then, at what age can our children get baptized? Well, the answer to that is, there is no particular age. We need to be convinced as parents and with friends around us that our children have shown a genuine heart of understanding of becoming a disciple of Jesus. That's the requirement, faith in Jesus, followers and disciples of Jesus. And so that will be different for every uh, individual.
Lastly, baptism is about obedience to Jesus. Michael Eaton has this incredibly beautiful quote. He says, you do not have to be, you can be a Christian if you're not baptized, but you can't be an obedient Christian if you're not baptized. And so he's right. The thief on the cross was a Christian. He'd given his life to Jesus. He had no opportunity to jump off there and go and dunk himself in water. But what the requirement for us is actually to be obedient to Jesus. And if we can't take that first step of obedience, right, of, of identifying ourselves with the body of Christ, how much is the rest of our life really going to be walking in obedience to God? Don't know about you, but the Lord has asked me to do some stuff I've really not wanted to do. And not because it was evil, it's because it was selfless. It had, I had to put myself aside in order to be obedient to him. And if I can't just submit this fleshly thing, getting into some cold water, I'm going to tell boy, I don't like cold water. And to get into water and to submit ourselves and say, you know what, God, this is quite an easy first step of obedience to me. I'll get into this water and identify myself with this lovely crowd of strange people who dunk themselves in water as an act of obedience to identify with Jesus. It's a beautiful thing to know that we get to do this thing together because there's blessing in this baptism. It's not just like I need to be obedient to Jesus. There's beauty in it, right? When we're obedient to our parents, there's a beauty in it. Why? Because they're sweet toward us. Right? When our kids are obedient to us, it's just, you know, our favor, right? They're still, even those other ones are still our children, but this one, you know, this is our child. And so there's the beauty of that blessing. There's that, that joy of the presence of the Lord when we're just walking in obedience to God. It doesn't change our position with Him, but there's a sweetness with the Father. And there's a joy from public confession. Don't know about you, but I haven't been to one baptism where there's been baptism and everyone's like, oh, this is so boring. Like, no, there's a joy, right? We all celebrate this new life that has committed itself to Christ and has gone, I'm showing an outward act of obedience. And as a church, we often try to do it publicly because, why? Wow, it's awkward. So awkward. But we're publicly saying, I'm in this thing. I'm all in. Because one day we will have to give public defense of our faith. And what better way to start than being surrounded by people who love us and have done the same thing. We're just following in their footsteps. Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. One point I want to just make there, I don't know if any of us believe this, but there are people who believe that you need to be baptized into a local church. Part of church membership is being baptized into that local church. It's not in the Bible. Our baptism is into the body of Christ, universal, and so uh, another thing Michael Eaton would say is that when people wanted to join his church, he would never ask them, have you been baptized? He'd leave that a few weeks later just to try and separate those two concepts. But what he is saying is that if you are going to walk as an obedient child of God, you need to get baptized. And I mean, in some ways I was thinking about this going, I mean, do we really want to welcome people into our community who on the outset are willingly disobedient to Christ? I'm like, yeah, that's probably setting ourselves up for a little bit of trouble. But he also says there's not one person whom he has welcomed into the church, that within a year, the Lord hasn't just turned their heart and they've gone, I need to be baptized. And so it's just good for us to understand that because you may get questions of people saying, I was baptized into a local church. And that's why some people can't leave local churches because they've been baptized in there. That's where they are until the Lord returns. And so it's just helpful for us to understand that. Our baptism in many ways is like a stone of remembrance for us. And that was part of that clear conscience I was talking about. Uh, I don't know about you, but not every single day of my life am I like, I'm on fire for the Lord. 
Um, I know I lead this church and I should be like that, but you know, I am human. But there are moments when I'm like, yes, Lord, the stuff that's going on. I'm like, am I even saved? I don't even know what's going on anymore. And I can go, no, no, I remember that time. I remember that time I had people who loved me around me, dunked myself in that ice cold water in the Western Cape. I remember it, Lord. It is seared into my memory. But it's a stone of remembrance for us that we remember back. And no, clear conscience before the Lord. No, Lord, I'm yours. You were there with me. My brothers and sisters in, in faith were there with me. We have this remembrance, the clear conscience before the Lord. And it encourages our faith. And for us to encourage the faith of those around us. That um, image was really interesting that Cecilia brought up uh, this morning um, around that bud. And it, it occurred to me, like the, the bud is still there, right? If we don't get baptized, the Lord has still brought life. But it's like that, putting that stuff on it and just seeing it, you know, there's a, let's just be obedient to the Lord. Let's just get on with what the Lord has for us. There's far more difficult things that he's going to ask us to be obedient in. Um, and so I don't want this to be a heavy conviction on us, but there is, there is anyone here who is a believer and hasn't yet ba- been baptized. Um, I want this word to speak to you and for you in clear conscience before the Lord to sit with them and go, Lord, what are you saying to me? Uh, because he's calling us to these simple steps of obedience. Acts 22, then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his own voice. There's an intimacy with him. For you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you delay? Ananias says to Paul, Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away, calling on his name. May the Lord encourage us toward being baptized if we haven't, and for those who are not immersed in Christ yet, if there is anyone here who hasn't gone, you know what? There's this Jesus who is coming back one day to rescue those who are his. And I haven't immersed myself in him. I've, maybe I've grown up understanding this Jesus. Maybe I have grown up in a Christian family. But Jesus is saying that's not enough. It's not enough. He's calling us for an immersion into him. It's for us to be all in. It's the one thing Jesus will not accept is a lukewarm Christian. It's throughout the scripture. What does he do? Spits them out. And so there's times when I'm like, Lord, please, just, I, feel, I feel lukewarm today. Please fire me up. Either make me cold or hot, because at least they don't get spat out. But they're lukewarm. And so may the Lord encourage us toward just reminding us again that we're immersed in him, that he loves us, that he's with us, he's for us. And if there's anyone who hasn't been baptized, that he would speak to you. Can we stand together? In Jesus, we thank you for this act of baptism, which we get to perform in the flesh to show a very simple step of obedience to you. It is a beautiful way of us being knit together as a community, as each of us who have put our faith and our trust in you have done the same thing. And it's not because we're great. It's to remind us of the cleansing work that you have done for us. It's to remind ourselves that we have repented and that we have a new way of life. It's to remind us that we're immersed in you, covered completely, that we're safe in you. It reminds us that we're dead to the law. We've died. But that by the same Holy Spirit, we've been brought to life. We now live in freedom. We live in obedience to you. It is by your Spirit, that sprinkling of our hearts, by putting in a new Spirit within us, that you enable us to walk in obedience to you. Our heart's desire is to do that. But like Paul, we know what we want to do, but we can't do it. The things we don't want to do, we do. It is your spirit that enables us, gives us the grace 
to say no to ungodliness and to walk in obedience with you. God, for anyone here who is struggling with knowing what to do, but just does not have the willpower to do it, I ask you, Holy Spirit, would your grace be poured upon them? Enable us, God, to walk in obedience to you. Not by us gritting our teeth, not by us clenching our fists, but being empowered, being baptized, being immersed by the Holy Spirit. Your sons and your daughters are so grateful for the saving work that you have done in our lives, Lord. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for including us. Thank you for giving us your spirit that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, for those who have not experienced that intimate moment with you, by your Holy Spirit, would you enable them to experience that right now? There's your presence alone. Come, Holy Spirit, would you fill them? Those who perhaps have felt going through a dry stage, Lord, or a dry patch, come, Holy Spirit, bring your living water. Make yourself known, Lord. We know that where two or three are gathered, you are with us. God, present yourself to them. Pray for our children, God. Would they have a living relationship with you? Not a removed, ritualistic, ah, I need to get into water. God, make this relationship with you real for them. That baptism's easy. Why wouldn't I? I'm immersed in this Christ. John, thank you for baptism. But Jesus... Thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wash us clean by your Spirit. Draw us in intimacy, Lord. And help us to walk in obedience. Your sons and your daughters, we commit ourselves to you afresh. Help us to walk in obedience, Lord. Speak to us this week. Guide us, direct us, help us to put ourselves aside, to cast away these idols to sidestep that sin that so easily entangles us. We depend upon you this week. Thank you for baptism, that we can remember back to that stone of remembrance when we first committed ourselves to you. And you have never left us. You've never forsaken us. You've been faithful. Thank you for your goodness to us. We love you, God. In the precious in powerful name, the only name by which men and women can be saved, Jesus. Amen.